0: Hi, everyone. This is Amanda Borsaldan, and you're listening to Times Will Tell, the weekly podcast of the Times of Israel. This week, I'm bringing you a Times of Israel community panel for Black History Month. It is part of the weekly online video programs we offer our community of supporters. We called the panel Circles of Trust, How Black and Jewish Communities Can Fight Together for Change. It's comprised of three unique voices whom I'll introduce during the program. I hope you enjoy it and see it as the start of An ongoing conversation. Enjoy! Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from The Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Times of Israel's community panel, Circles of Trust, How Black and Jewish Communities Can Fight Together for Change. We're joined by Ed Gaskin, Gina Green, and Rabbi Shes Rishon. I'll introduce them separately in a second, but first, just to lay some ground rules, each panelist is going to answer his or her unique question for five to 10 minutes, and after which each panelist presents, the others two will have the option to respond and remark for two to three minutes. So to begin with, Ed Gaskin. I was first introduced to Ed Gaskin through his stunning blog on the Times of Israel. After the Tree of Life tragedy, I went to Shabbat services and never stopped. Ed still attends services at Temple Bet Elohim in Wesley, Massachusetts. You can see it as his backdrop here, as well as Roxbury Presbytery Church in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Ed has a MDiv degree from Gordon-Cornwell Theological Seminary and graduated as a Martin Trust Fellow from MIT's Sloan School of Management. He's published several several books on a range of topics and also for the past 25 years taught a seminary class on the topic of Christianity and the problem of racism.
1: Ed, where are you joining us from? I'm from uh, Randolph, Massachusetts.
0: Excellent. Now, we turn to Gina Green. Gina Green's work, I first saw an action at an anti-Trump rally just following the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. I was sent by the Times of Israel to report on the funerals and communal gatherings and was pulled into a march that was largely organized by Ben the Ark, where Gina was the chief strategy officer. It was quite a moving spectacle. Gina is a fellow of the Kogod Research Center at Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. She is a political strategist, writer, and consultant, and until June 2020, was the chief strategy officer at then the Arc Jewish Action. Gina is a frequent speaker and writer on democracy, race, racism in the Jewish community, Jewish community diversity, and leadership. Gina, where are you joining us from? Columbia,
2: Columbia South Carolina.
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. I've never been there. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. And now we turn to Rabbi Shays Rishon, who is also known as Manishtana. Hi, Shays. We've never crossed paths, but I understand that you are not a fan of what is also my most unfavorite holiday, Purim. And perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that as well. Later on, you are an author, writer, educator, playwright, rabbi, and public speaker whose work on racial and religious identity and culture, and how the intersections manifest in America takes prejudice, bias, and ignorance head on. You're also an orthodox rabbi, ordained in 2018, I believe, Mazatov, and you live in New York with your family, as far as I know.
3: That is true, although today <laughs> I'm speaking to you from San Diego.
0: San Diego, wow, get out of here, amazing. So we are going to start out with our questions. Our first question goes to Ed Gaskin. The first question is, in an era in which the Black and Jewish communities are being singled out and attacked, what ways can both communities support each other, both spiritually and tangibly? All right, thank you, Amanda.
1: The first thing I think is that Blacks and Jews have to learn about each other's uh, history and find ways to work together in the midst of some of the conflicts. Uh, I was surprised at one of my recent postings at the uh, Times of Israel, the number of people who responded and said that they would not identify or help sort of the current Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, in response to George Floyd, because they felt that... um, Given the level of Black-on-Black crime and the number of Blacks who kill other Blacks, they felt that Blacks should focus on that as a priority first before we worked worried about the few um, Blacks that were shot by white officers and other people. Um, The second thing I noticed is that so many... um, uh, the people who responded as to why they wouldn't help is they said because they saw that they they saw almost like a a total relationship between blacks and the and the BDS movement. And you know, not understanding that that's not every black person, or what percentage of the black community, or whatever. But they basically said, if blacks are behind that, then, then we can't help them. And the um, the blacks, in terms of the uh, the riots in the Fairfield section of Los Angeles, and they said, you know, they're out rioting and destroying our synagogues and businesses and things like that. And then finally, uh, they cited the uh, anti-Semitic comments made by various black celebrities, athletes, etc. And so for me, in the context of all these other kind of things happening, I said there really needs to be some kind of uh, discussion or dialogue to uh, to try to clarify or, or whatever the correct word is. And really understand the, the hundred year history that blacks and Jews have had in working on civil rights in the United States, the the kinds of things like people like Rosenwald have done or. Um, Harry Wintel, uh, uh, Stan Levinson, et cetera, just literally all the, uh, the work, because I just feel that uh, on the Black side, they don't really understand how the Jewish participation, or Jewish participation in all the things that we've done. And I clearly saw a lot of misgivings of, of some of the Jews, particularly um, in understanding what Blacks have done and the things I, I had just mentioned and i think if you see like the white supremacist and the all right uh, the alt-right groups you know they're not a hundred percent aligned doctrinally or theologically or anything else but they are aligned because they've identified a common enemy and if they can overtake like the capital of the united states to me that means that no jew no black no church no synagogue is safe and that we need to figure out how we're going to work together Uh, Like I said, we're either going to hang together separately or we're going to hang together as a group, but we really have to do that. And understanding not just the positive things that have been happened, uh, but, you know, there has been other things in terms of the negative aspects of the the history and just being honest about that. Because, again, the issue is learning to work together and learning about each other's history. Um, You know, when talked about things that we could do together. Part of it has to do with being in proximity and being with each other, and I really liked the the joint um, Bible. Uh, Holy Land tours, right, where you have a Jewish congregation and a black church touring the Holy Land together, and you know, sort of almost embracing that common history and background. I also liked the um, the joint civil rights tours, where you have a, a, a Jewish congregation, the black church, going to whether it's the uh, the Holocaust Museum, the African American Museum in D.C., or the uh, the Legacy Museum, um, I think it's in Alabama. But having those joint experiences where just the time on the trip you can get to know each other and understand each other's history and then the question is you know and yakim prince he talks about it's not enough to hope together uh, or to pray together, but we actually have to work together. So what are the kind of joint service projects? So, if you know if you have a, a synagogue and you have a church and you have a food program, you know let's let's do both of those kind of things together or the other kind of things. But I don't think there's any lack of um, projects or things that we can do the real the relationship. I really think it has to come down to intentionality. Um, I mean, just recently published another piece where, I said, geez, you know, we're talking about the black community and we're talking about because of COVID and what's happening on the economic front, that a significant number of the businesses are uh, are not going exi- to exist on the black side. And I had said, you know, in, in the same way that uh, some of the, business, the Jewish businesses in the past had worked with the black community, you know, what could we do in terms of um uh jewish institutions universities hospitals and things like that really trying to procure and help buy from the black community but maybe maybe we can partner with the jewish community in another way to to do the same thing that we haven't been able to do in other places you know some of the some of the problems like um, joint ventures, so sometimes the contractors set up such that um, the smaller black firm might not be able to participate in that project, um, where we potentially could have a Jewish uh, company partnering with a black company to do joint ventures. Another one, that's popular is uh, on the acquisition. Sometimes you have a family-owned business and there's no natural succession or successor for that. And what I've seen recently is where an outside company will come in to make the acquisition of that business with a particular focus of having a black person of color as the new um, owner-manager financed by another part. Uh, but another way, it's, it's just another way to help um, get the numbers up in terms of uh, black businesses, et cetera. And again, I'm, I'm addressing this from the economic standpoint because of what we're seeing most recently in terms of the, uh, the downturn and what the devastation might be. And, and probably finally, one of the things was um, that talking about things for the future was just looking at blacks in venture capital. As you probably know, less than 1% of all venture backed companies um, Basically, are or, or have black founders, and mostly it's an issue of access to capital. There's a there's a group here in Boston, uh, Visible Hands, where it's a which is a venture capitalist who's basically set up another group to help. Uh, basically a diverse group of entrepreneurs start this money because the hardest money for us to get is on the early stage angel stage seed capital to be able to start those businesses and but again it's it's a for me it's like an innovative creative way as to how we could work together to make a a change in the way that uh, that we were uh, discussing so those are those are a few ideas covered the topic there and ready for the next question
0: Very fascinating. Definitely. You covered the spiritual and the tangible elements uh, wholeheartedly. I I really appreciate your thoughts. And and definitely, I was not aware of some of the facts that you brought up. So we'll move on to your second question, Ed. What have you learned about the Jewish community since the Pittsburgh shooting in, in which you've attended services at synagogue ever since? Well, you know, it's interesting. That's part of the reason why I, I
1: wrote. So, for the people who may not know, there's a there's an article in the Times of Israel when I talked about, where Amanda talked about my going to the first service, and what happened after the the uh, the shooting at the Tree of Life. I just felt so horrified by what had happened that I wanted, in some small way, to show solidarity or be in support. So I went there. Uh, I think that was. I think that was only the second time in my life that I'd ever been to any kind of Shabbat service. And the experience was that um, after I had been there, I said, geez, uh, there wasn't anything that was saying or prayed or preached or anything that I didn't personally agree with. And I found it to be a very meaningful worship service. So what I was intending to do was just keep, you know, I said, well, you can't judge a service by just one um, one event or one worship. So I came the following week. And I enjoyed it the following week, and then I just kept coming ever since because I found it sort of spiritually uh, gratifying. So what I did is I wrote the letter to Rabbi Myers, who is the rabbi for the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and uh, I basically said I realized this was a horrible event. This was really awful of what happened, but just. Just a smidgen that one little teeny good thing came of it, and I talked about how my discovering Judaism as a result of that, and I said it's almost like when you have like an organ donor, the person dies, but their organs, you know, bring life to somebody else. And I said the people that died there brought me a new life, and I was just sort of expressing my appreciation.
0: So in a- I really appreciate your thoughts, and I, I'm going to move on just because our time is short, and I really suggest for everyone to look up this blog. We'll include a link in the program notes. Okay, moving on to Gina. Gina, America is obviously experiencing a period of unprecedented, unprecedented white nationalism, anti-Semitism, and authoritarianism, and in many ways, Jews of color Although there are a million Jews of color in the United States, as far as I know, are on the front lines of experiencing the worst of both worlds, shall we say. In what way can the Jewish community pivot to protect their own and proactively fight for change in a democratic
2: society? Thanks so much for that question, Amanda, and for bringing us all here today to have um, a really timely um conversation about these issues. I think the one thing I want to lift up first and and most importantly is that we need to recognize as the Jewish community that we're not safe unless everyone is safe. And our safety really depends on keeping everyone safe. I, I listened to Ed um, tell the story about going to a synagogue for the first time in the wake of the 11 murders at Tree of Life in Pittsburgh. And that Time, as you mentioned, that's how you came to know me, was because of the work that our leaders at in the Arc um, in Pittsburgh did around that horrific tragedy, and there were five thousand plus people who came out into the streets of Squirrel Hill, and they weren't all Jews. They were Jews. They were Christians. They were Muslims. They were Black folks. There were trans folks. There were queer folks. There were everyone was there because. It wasn't about being anti-Trump as much as it was about being for all of us, and I really think that that is the most important thing that we, as a Jewish community, can be holding and knowing and really trying to live up to in this moment, when you know the powers that be pit the have-nots against each other rather than the haves. This is what happens, and I think that in this moment of white nationalism. anti-Semitism in the United States, it's also important to recognize that this is a global affair. Ethno-nationalism is not unique to the United States. There are fascist anti-democratic leaders around the world in many countries um, and with many leaders who look a lot like Trump, who have created an environment that looks a lot like the world we've been living in these last five years, where Jews of color visibly Jewish Jews, right? The ones who look at as a as the case may be um, according to the stereotype, we are at the, we are in the crosshairs and we are at the front lines. And I think that um, in this moment of holding democratic values and holding democracy against the backdrop of so many threats and dangers means recognizing that democracy is a value but it's also a process, it's also a system. And it is not just a thing that is, it's a thing that we make and that we animate. And as Jews, I believe in this country, in the United States, we have an outsized opportunity to both be a part of the change, meaning working with black and brown led organizations who've been doing racial justice work for decades and have been doing it well in our communities, and le- following their leadership to a place where we are all safe. And that means that what, and I believe the democracy demands, like I said, it demands us, it demands the people in any situation where <laughs> the people can't be a part of it, then that creates a place where we're all not safe. And so I just wanna lift up, you mentioned those anti-democratic piece of this and let's not get away. Yes, lives are in danger, lives are at stake, the machinery of anti-Semitism and white nationalism, we can dismantle them, we can get rid of them, but to do that requires using our democracy and participating in it. So I want to talk a little bit really quickly about some tangible ways that Jewish community can do that in this moment, around where our money is, where our interests are, where we're putting our time, our resources, and our support. I talked about black and brown-led organizations on the ground across the country in communities and states all over. But then there's also a macro. We need to be actually responding to the threats on democracy itself. That means voting rights, that means redistricting, that means money and politics, that means creating a system where people who look like me actually have a shot at running for office and winning and being able to be in a position to make life better. Right? That's a, these are tactical, tangible things we can do. And then we also still have to, lifting up what Ed said about communication and coordination, collaboration, all of these things need to happen um, across difference, across race, class, gender, ethnicities together because divided we fall, right? And so I really think that's a really important thing to hold um, as we sort of move into a period where A white nationalist movement has lost a visible figurehead in Donald Trump in the United States. But we saw Josh Hawley and Marjorie Taylor Greene hop up with a quickness to fill that void. So we know it's not just about a person. It's about a system that's been built, that's been maintained, and we all need to work together to dismantle it.
0: Now, for those of us who live abroad, who are watching the spectacle of the United States and the storming of the Capitol Hill and every horrible thing that we've been witness to over the past uh, several years, how do you see our contribution in helping the United States democracy be strengthened and be the robust uh, institution
2: that it has been for so long? That's a great question. And I think I would I mean, I might challenge the premise of whether or not we've been a strong democracy ever before, right? Like, what does it mean if you think about what I said earlier in terms of democracy needing the people and thinking about until the (laughs) Voting Rights Act, how many people in this country could not participate and who were prevented from participating categorically? So I think... We have to recognize that we aren't as good as we have been, and yet we still might be the best that ever was. So what does that tell you about the possibility of democracy when we actually all can participate? We were still arguably one of the best democracies on the planet, and we were nowhere near where we could be. So let's think about what the future is going to look like. What does it mean for us to make it, that, make it so. And I do think it is a local issue. I do think that this is um, work that has to be tackled from the ground up. And that makes it hard for, I think, folks who aren't in the United States to really be um, involved in some of the process pieces. But I mean, if you're thinking, if you're not in the United States, but you have a lot of love for this country, think about the organizations that you can support. Who are doing this work at the state level at the local level at the national level who are um you know if you are an american citizen you can look to candidates that you might want to support if you're a foreign national please do not send any of our candidates any money um but i think that you know, thinking about if you're if you're not here keep your eyes on the prize with us dream with us share your stories because i remember you know remember this is not only America. This is a global phenomenon that we're actually fighting the forces of white supremacy everywhere. And support those people and places and institutions and communities who are really leading this work in in the ways that you can.
0: I just love your answer. And I think if I nodded anymore, my head would fall off. So really, thank you so much. (laughs) Anyone have a response? No
1: response, just agreement. And I would say, for instance, um, Being a Christian, attending Shabbat every week, and being a part of the Jewish community, I didn't realize the level of Christian nationalism and white nationalism in the country. And I started to look at it for the first time as an outsider, as how other people would see it. And I was, I don't want to say I was horrified, but I just didn't appreciate the level of that. And I also didn't appreciate our complicity in that, and that by buying into it, how anti-Semitic it was. I remember I called um, on Rosh Hashanah. I said the world was like business as usual because it wasn't important to Christians. And I said I, I wanted to like scream, like, "Hey, like this is a holy day, Yom Kippur. This is a holy day. Like this, this is this is meaningful." And so. Um, uh, again, I just I, I completely identify with the fact that uh, the white supremacy, Christian nationalism, and just understanding how much of that we're just immersed in this culture.
0: Really fascinating. Thank you, Shai Rabbi Shai Uh Thank you for waiting so patiently until now. A question about Black History Month: What are the challenges, if any, that you personally experience in celebrating Black History Month from an American Jewish perspective?
3: Uh, hi, Amanda. I'd like to echo thanking you for bringing us all into this panel and these uh, very relevant discussions. Um, challenges, I think, is a interesting word to use around you know celebrating Black History Month. Uh, personally there's no you know real uh, a barrier or or something preventing me from like really enjoying it but there's a certain level of sort of frustration that can manifest particularly when you look at things like uh, Martin Luther King's birthday and it seems nearly impossible for jewish media or publications to interact with Martin Luther King's day without having to like Photobomb it with everything Heschel related. Like there, there seems to be an impossibility to interact with Martin Luther King without saying, hey, remember the, the Jew that was sitting next to him? I don't think any American Jew knows what Heschel's birthday even is. But every year when Martin Luther King Day comes out, there he is. And then just a month later, there's like an absence of sort of Jewish interaction with Black History Month. There's no uplifting of black American figures that are also Jewish or have Jewish heritage and so their Jewishness sort of gets left out of the picture even when they're uplifted by you know the non-Jewish black community during uh, African American History Month but then when May comes along with Jewish Heritage Month again they're not present the same figures um and it sort of buys into and plays into the, the economy of a lot of the language that we use around these sort of collaborations. When we talk about Black Jewish community and Black Jewish relations, it's, I've said this uh, several times before at uh, Infinitum, that when we talk about these terms, there are these invisible parentheticals. We're usually talking about relations between the white Jewish and non-Jewish Black Communities. It cuts out relations between white Jews and black Jews. It cuts out relations between Jewish blacks and non Jewish blacks. And so when these initiatives are being put into place to how to bond between these two communities, it's usually from the framework of white Jews and usually black Christians and Jews of color, particularly black Jews who are that linchpin, with that rage, are left out of the conversation. And so there's this constant cycle of new organizations and new initiatives and new collaborations they are making the exact same mistakes and they're retreading the exact same roads that exist and nothing's moving forward because we, as black Jews, are being left out of the picture. And if you don't have all the pieces, you can't make a full puzzle. Hmm.
0: I don't even know what the pieces are, to be honest, which is perhaps a, a starting point to have this conversation with people who, like me, are woefully ignorant. At least my 17-year-old told, tells me that every single day that I'm such an ignorant person. Rolls his eyes very dramatically, of course, at the same time. But but yes, these different pieces and, and talking about the, the linchpin of the Black uh, Jews, it, it's so difficult, I think, for people who are not, living your experience to even understand which pieces should be in the puzzle. It's like getting a whole bunch of pieces, but no picture to, to know what the final image should be. What are the pieces that we're missing?
3: Um, us, we're the pieces that are missing. Like, <laughs> Ed's experience going to services after a tree of life. That's an amazing experience. I'm glad that you had it, but for Jews of color, that same weekend after tree of life, being looked at suspiciously or turned away from the door or followed around or not being let in. And so that piece needs to be an internal Jewish conversation about how we deal with the people in our pews before patting ourselves in the back because we're reaching out to those people over there, these these issues over there. Every issue that happens in America is a Jewish issue because we're a multi-ethnic, multi-racial people. You know, stop and frisk affects Jews. Immigration laws affects Jews. Black Lives Matter affects Jews. Police brutality affects Jews. and so that conversation isn't really being had internally. I'm sure your congregation uh, that you visited, Ed, was like, oh, we're letting this you know outsider person in to be a spectator. That's good. But when I walk in, it's like, wait, you're one of us? How? Who are you? Where are you from? Do you need help? Are you here to go to the bathroom? Like, And so the fact that those two things happen simultaneously leads to a false conception of progress that's even being made. Because it's mm-hmm. easy to say, oh, look at the bridges we've made with these guys over there. But again, in your own pews, it's like, where am I in this conversation?
0: Do you think it's exacerbated as well because you're living an orthodox lifestyle versus Ed's experience with the reform uh, community where they are broadly uh, trying to practice audacious hospitality, which is, of course, something that they took from the Chabad movement that you grew up in. But do you think that in part the Jewish community is more judgy quote-unquote in the orthodox community than in the more liberal movements
3: um in american context it's more like north and south racism it's the same racism just being expressed differently where i might walk into an orthodox space and they say to me immediately like why are you here like who are you i go to like a a more liberal space and the question is so what brings you here like the question is the same we don't think you belong here why are you here explain yourself the only difference is how harshly it's said or how it's couched into something passive and you know microaggression
2: I think the, the tough part though which is not said in your in in the asking of the question Amanda is in this country how we have seen the Orthodox community rally around some of the white nationalism and white supremacy and fascism that we have seen. And in that sense, I would say, you know, I can't uh, talk to the people I them with. And I can't do with the people I talk to. I forget what that phrase is, right? But like, I will tell you that I have spent a lot of time not going to my Orthodox schools over the last several years because The space has become, in many Orthodox communities, toxic around this very issue and around what is the side of right and around what does it mean to actually be for all of us and see our safety from a different perspective and with a wider lens. And that's something that we are not seeing happening within Orthodoxy. And that's unsettling and really hard. It's so fascinating to me
0: hearing you I'll uh, speak I haven't lived in the United States for over 20 years and the last time I was there was the Pittsburgh shooting so I feel very out of touch and I really appreciate your insight into everything do you see I, I would love to end on an optimistic note so please rack your minds for something slightly optimistic you can volunteer or I'll call you out but please something a little optimistic in terms of a strengthening of the relationship with between all Jews, between Jews and the black community. Something, please, please, something.
3: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I'm the right guy for optimism. I don't. I might second that. <laughs> Love you,
2: Shay. <Chase>. And yet. <laughs>
3: I tend to take a more pragmatic approach and just looking at history repeating and different social movements and et cetera, but uh, this often is a question that comes up. How can we be more accepting? How can we be more open? And it's a complicated question, but it has, I think, a very simple and easy solution. Like, we've all we've all been the other in a room, right? Either been the only woman in a room full of men uh, the tallest person, the oldest person, the youngest person in the room, the one dressed more conservatively, less conservatively. And we know we know what that look feels like. We know what that outsiderness feels like. We know how we would have wanted people to approach us and make us feel like we I mean, just do the same thing that you would have appreciated people doing for you. Just project that out. As I like to joke, we all went to junior high school. We know that's terrible. So just stop doing that. And we should be fine. <laughs>
0: I mean, really, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. And I've, I've learned so much. I really appreciate your insight. And I hope this is the beginning of a conversation. Thank you. Thank you.
1: This probably should be a series. We get this, we're just <laughs> getting warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> I can My co-tellers forever.
0: Agreed. Yofi, thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms.